can open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. While you're turning there, I'll take this opportunity to say a little bit about how glad I am to be here. In the four years that we lived here, I got to know a little bit about Bobby's Branch and always have held you in high esteem and appreciate the good uh, work that the congregation has done and is doing here. Tony and I have known each other for a long time. We got to know each other much better. When I lived here, our families were together. His wife and my wife were dear friends in high school. Uh, his father-in-law baptized me, and so they'll always be uh, special to me. And, uh, but I remember when Coretta was in a different high school than I was, but we graduated the same year. And I'll just tell you, I'm not going to tell you how long it's been since I graduated, but she graduated 40 years ago. <laughs> it's been 40 years since she graduated. But anyway, uh, I remember she went off to Freed Hardeman. And I remember one weekend she came home with this young fella tagging along behind her. And uh, it's Tony. And, you know, and I met him. And uh, since then we've gotten to know each other a lot better. I started to tell you I wasn't too impressed, but I wasn't. <laughs> but first impressions are not always accurate. <laughs> but, but we've gotten to know each other a lot better. And uh, I appreciate him a great deal. I, I count him as a dear friend. And I, I know that he's done a good work here, 29 years. That speaks well of him and his family and of you, that you all can work together. And uh, so I'm glad to be here and look forward to, to the rest of the week, Lord willing. What I like to do when I have done gospel meetings uh, through the years, is, especially lately, is, is try to look at a lesson during the Bible class hour, if I'm in charge of that hour, where we talk about the, the Bible. And I want to try to reinstill, if, it need, if necessary, uh, to reassure our confidence in the Bible. And I want you to look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 at some things that Paul says here that I think help to exalt the power of the gospel in our lives. Now, Romans 1.16, you know, says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, several months ago, in looking at that verse again, I, I don't, it takes things longer to dawn upon me than it does others, I'm sure. But it struck me that that verse teaches or shows that faith only is not true. To whom is the gospel the power of God unto salvation? It's to the one that believes. The one that believes isn't saved. But the one that believes in God and in the word of God. The gospel then becomes God's power unto salvation to that individual. That's the same thing It's going to be expressed here in a little different way for those who already are Christians. If I believe in God and I believe the Bible is the Word of God, then it can work powerfully in my life and in yours and in the lives of others. Now, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So there is in the Word of God itself that which will produce and promote faith. But notice that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10, Paul says, You are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. 
You know how we exhorted and comforted and charged you as a father doth his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh in you that believe. And you became followers of the churches of God in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus, having suffered things of your own countrymen as they do also of the Jews. Now we'll stop right there because there's enough in there for us to look at and think about for a little bit that exalts the gospel and the power of the gospel in our lives. You think about, folks, how many philosophies and ideas there are floating around in the world today. Think about those to whom people look for encouragement, for guidance, for wisdom. As a preacher or one who's trying to preach, and Tony and perhaps the elders here, maybe deacons, maybe someone who's a dear friend comes to those who are, are members here and asks for advice. A fellow called me the other day and he said, I want to ask for your advice. Now when somebody calls and asks for my advice, I'm always try to be careful because if I'm giving them advice in the realm of opinion, there's always the chance that it may not work out the way we want it to. I'm not nearly as hesitant if somebody calls and asks me about what to do to be saved because the Bible answers that. It takes it out of the realm of my opinion, my wisdom, and it's, it's, it's God's Word. And that's one of the keys. They receive the Word of God as the Word of God and not the Word of men. How many people walk out on an assembly just like this one any Sunday of the year and simply dismiss offhandedly what they've heard because they treat it as the words of men and not the word of God? It doesn't make a lot of difference whether you pay attention to what I say or not or what Tony says or not. But if what we are saying and what others are saying and what you are saying is the Word of God, that makes all the difference in the world. That's the standard by which we're going to be judged. You see? Parents and teenagers especially, as those teenagers grow up, you have that inevitable conflict as they're expanding their minds and wanting to expand their liberty, and you're trying to guide them and direct them, if what they're doing is just your word, that's one thing. But it's the word of God. It's altogether different. When you pick up your Bible and read it, and see it as the word of God. That's God talking to just like I'm trying to talk to you this morning. That's God talking to us. And how do we listen? You know, Jesus said in the parable of the sower, recorded by Mark, take heed what you hear. In Luke's account, Luke records him saying, take heed how you hear. So let's think. What's this? What do these verses show us? They show us that the gospel has the power to give us discernment or to help us to discriminate 
Isaiah 5 and verse 20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. You ever done that? How do you know? How do you know what's good? How do you know what's evil? When I see somebody doing something and I say, you know, they really ought not do that. Now, when I talk about ought, I'm on God's ground. I'm in, I'm in His territory. I'm saying they're doing something they shouldn't do. Why? You see, how do you discern? How do you discriminate between what's good and what's evil? How do you decide that this is what we ought to do and this is what we ought not do? That's where the Bible comes in. And 1 Peter 4.11 wasn't written just to Christians, but it says in part, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. When I say to my children, that's wrong, it better be wrong. Because God said so. Now I realize there's some things in the realm of my judgment and wisdom as a father. But if I'm talking about something that is inherently sinful, it better be sinful. If I say this is what God says we must do, then it better be what God said. But that's true of any of us. You go to your jobs tomorrow, or maybe some will have to go today. And you get in a discussion with an employer, employee, a co-worker, and you start talking about things that ought to be done and ought not be done, we better be saying what God said. We're to speak as the oracles of God. And you see, the Bible is the only thing that will enable us to know what really is right and what really is wrong. Hebrews 5 and verse 12, the writer is rebuking them because they had not grown up spiritually. He said, when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and become such as are in need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word, being a babe. Strong meat belongs to them who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern between good and evil. I used to pray when my children were small. Now I pray for my grandchildren that when they got to be older and started making their own choices that they would not make mistakes that had lifelong consequences. I knew they were going to make mistakes because I made mine. I knew they'd make theirs. My fear was that they would make a mistake that would carry a lifelong consequence. Just one sampling of some illicit drug and they're hooked and struggle to get over it, to overcome it. That's severe, you see. Now we pray that for our grandchildren. But how do we decide? We have to have our senses exercised, and it is only the Word of God that will direct us in that way. First Thessalonians 5.21, Paul said, Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Paul knew that the inspired teaching of the Word of God, though they did not have it in a book at that time, he knew that the inspired teaching of the Word of God would equip them to be able to put things to the test and determine what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil, what's profitable and unprofitable. Don't we need that in our world today? It is alarming to me to think about parents who are rearing children without input from God's Word 
on how they ought to live. And it is alarming, it, it is bad enough to think about trying to live in this world we live in now where we're giving them the Bible. Our children are growing up in such a wicked world. I've said this before, but so many young people that are growing up now, like in the age of my grandchildren, for instance, they're not going to look at homosexual marriage the way you and I have always looked at it without knowing what the Bible teaches. The influences of the media, the acceptance of it by the world generally, it's going to become commonplace with so many people. It is apparently inevitable that it is going to be accepted in our society nationwide sooner or later if something doesn't happen. And they're going to grow up influenced by all of that. Now, how are they going to know that's wrong? It's not wrong because we're homophobic. It's not wrong because we don't like it, because it's against our tradition and our upbringing. It's wrong because the Bible says it's wrong. The Bible has the power to give us that discernment to look at things in this world and to know what is and is not acceptable with God. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now that's key. We're not, we're not trying to serve God with one foot in the church and one foot in the world. We're giving ourselves wholly to God. Verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How often have you heard somebody say in regard to anything that you know the Bible teaches is wrong, and they will say, Well, I don't see anything wrong with it. What's the Bible say? It will give us that discernment. That then will give us the power to Choose the right direction. Paul said in verses 11 and 12 that I have exhorted and comforted and charged you as a father does his children that you would walk worthy of God. You know the word walk is a word that is often used in the Bible for conduct, daily life. If we walk in the light as he is in the light and so on. Well, here is direction. Here's how I'm going to live. The Bible points me in that direction. Gives me the ability, the power to make the right choice. When Jesus said, strive to enter in at the straight gate, Matthew 7 and verse 13. How am I going to do that? How do I find the straight gate? How do I recognize the straight gate as opposed to the broad one? The narrow way as opposed to the wide? How do I do all of that? The power of the gospel in the one who believes enables us to choose the way we will live and to direct our lives in the way we should. We are incapable of doing that on our own. Now, Jeremiah 10.23 says, The way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. But even if you didn't have that verse in the Bible, just look around you. Look at the condition of our world. How are we doing? We're not doing very well, are we? 
You look at the moral climate in which we live. We're not doing very well. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways and He will direct your paths. Now that's the key, you see. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways. The Bible addresses itself to every need of man, every mood of man, every relationship into which we might enter. The Bible gives instructions and guidance on what to do. If someone came to you and asked you, what must I do to be saved? You could sit down and you'd say, well, now what does the Bible say? And you'd go through the plan of salvation with them. If someone came to you or me and said, what, how do we worship God in spirit and in truth? John 4, 24. You could sit down with your Bible and you could say, here's what the Bible shows we're authorized to do in our worship. Someone came to you and said, how do I live? How do I walk in the light? You'd sit down with the Bible and you'd talk about things that Christians do every day. When husbands and wives are disagreeing, why doesn't one say to the other, honey, why don't we sit down with the Bible and solve this? Do what it teaches when two brethren have a falling out, why doesn't somebody say, let's sit down with the Bible and let's see what God instructs you and me to do about this and let's do that. Now there may be occasions where that's done and if it is, everything ought to be worked out. Why is it that two people that are married that are supposed to be members of the Lord's church would ever divorce? short of fornication being involved. If both of them are doing what the Bible teaches, why would they ever end up in a divorce? See, the Bible gives direction. It gives direction to parents and children. It shows them how to relate one to another. It gives directions to us in the employer-employee relationship. Now, for... Over a year, I've been going to the Smith County Jail at 4 o'clock on Tuesday afternoons and doing a Bible class. Uh, it's too long of a story to get into how we got started doing that. It sort of just fell in our lap. We didn't set out to start a prison work but or a jail work, but it's just sort of developed into that. But I've been going now for several months, and occasionally... Those men that come into that class, some of them are no doubt insincere, but some of them are. Some of them come just to get out of their cell. Now they're pod for a little while. But some of them are genuine and sincere or give every appearance of being. But a lot of times when they'll come in, they'll start complaining about what the correctional officers have done or haven't done for them. And every once in a while I try to remind them and remind myself of this as well. Look, there's only one person I can control, and that's me. I'm the only one I can control. I don't do a very good job of that sometimes, but I'm the only one I can control. Now, the gospel gives me the power to control myself and to direct my life in the way it ought to go. Nobody else may do that. But I can do that. And you can do that. 
My wife and I go home this afternoon, and on the way home, I tell her, we're getting a divorce. And she doesn't want it. We're getting a divorce. If I want it. You see? But if we're both following the Bible, that's not going to happen. It gives direction. We are incapable of directing our lives without the input of God. Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25 both say, There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And again, things come to me slower than they do others, but Judges 17.6 and Judges 21.25, both of those verses say, There was no king in Israel in those days, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. For a long time, knowing the, the ups and downs of the nation of Israel there during the period of the Judges, you know, they'd be faithful to God for a little while and they'd fall away. God would use a nation around them to afflict them. Then they would turn back to God in repentance and he would raise up a judge to deliver them. I used to know about that history and I think how wicked and evil they were at times and rebellious. But the inspired word of God says they were doing what was right in their own eyes. They weren't getting up and saying, how can we rebel today? No, they got up and they directed their lives based on what they thought was right. The problem is it wasn't. And that happens today. There are many good people trying to do what they believe is right. The Apostle Paul said, I've lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. Acts 23.1 The problem was he hadn't been doing what was right. But he thought he was up until he learned the truth. You see, it gives direction. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 9 through 14 are I think one of the best sections of verses that give some explanation of inspiration. As it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. A quote from Isaiah 64 and verse 4. Now many times in past you've heard that verse referenced in application made to heaven. But it's not talking just about heaven. Heaven would be a, a part of it. But that's not just heaven. It's talking about the principle of revelation. The scheme of redemption. Notice, eye has not seen nor ear heard. Science is incapable of giving us the things we need to direct our lives. Science deals with the tangible. Science deals with that which can be tested and uh, hypothesized and, and proven so forth. Science deals then with the, the physical evidence. Science is incapable of giving us what we need. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard. Philosophy is, is insufficient. Neither has entered into the heart of man. Philosophy is insufficient. We need the input of God. Notice that right after that Paul says, But God hath revealed them unto us. Now what has God revealed to us? The things that eye hasn't seen? And ear hasn't heard and hasn't entered into the heart of man. Heaven would be a small part of that. But it would also include all of the revelation of God that man could not know without the Holy Spirit inspiring those men to give us his word. And when those Thessalonian brethren heard it, 
They accepted it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. It will give us direction, folks. And if we choose the wrong path, it shows us how to get back on the right path, doesn't it? And if we're on the right path, it gives us encouragement and assurance to stay on that path. Not only that, it gives deliverance. Because in verse 12, he says that you would walk worthy of God who has called you into his kingdom and glory. Now, God calls us by the gospel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul gave thanks unto God because he had from the beginning, Paul said of these Thessalonians, chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by my gospel. God chose them from the beginning. Did you know the Bible teaches predestination? Now, not Calvinistic predestination. Some of you may have heard me use this illustration before, but it teaches predestination. Predestination of class, a class of people, a group of people. God chose them to salvation. How did he choose them? He chose to save those who would be sanctified by the Spirit and believe the truth. And he called them through the gospel to the obtaining thereof. The Warren County School Board has predestined who will be the valedictorian of the class this year, graduating class this year. You know how they did it? They set a standard. If you meet that standard, you'll be the valedictorian. They didn't look at the roster or the role of students that are seniors and say, well, let's pick this one. No, they didn't do it Calvinistically. But they took a standard and said, you meet this standard and you will be the valedictorian. And that's the way God chooses to save before the world began. He chose to save everybody who was in Christ. And he calls us to that through the gospel. And that gives us deliverance. Colossians 1.13, we have been delivered out of those Satan's power into the kingdom of God's dear Son. We have been delivered from the control, the dominion, and the damnation of sin. No wonder when you read about conversions in the New Testament, you read about rejoicing. They that gladly received His Word were baptized. Just a few verses earlier, they were pricked in their hearts and they cried out, Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? I don't think that I could do justice to the tone of voice and the inflections of their voice in the despair and desperation with which they cried out. They had crucified the one they'd been looking for all of their life and that Israel had been looking for for centuries. Now what in the world are we going to do? The remedy was that it wasn't a physical remedy, but a spiritual one. And they that gladly received his word were baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch came up out of the water and went on his way rejoicing. 
No wonder we have been delivered. The power of the gospel enables us to live lives. No, we don't live sinlessly perfect, but the gospel gives us the power to live without letting any sin have control over us. Romans 6. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey his servants ye are to whom ye obey? Whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. And the gospel gives us the power to be delivered from the control of sin. And then the consequences of that. No matter what sin I may have committed. As heinous as it may seem to me. There's the blood of Christ that can cleanse it. And atone for it. And I can be delivered from that. I may not be able to be delivered from the consequences now. Those We have baptized a few people in the jail. This year we've baptized two. Uh, the last couple of years we've averaged baptizing about seven or eight well they're baptized and they go right back to the jail they don't get to take off the cuffs and change clothes and go home they go right back to the jail to finish out their sentence because the forgiveness of sins and deliverance from its power and its control doesn't remove those consequences we baptized a lady a couple of weeks ago who was involved late last year in a murder whether she'll ever get out or not Remains to be seen. She hasn't even been put on trial yet for that charge. But she was baptized into Christ. So far as I can tell. And when she went back to that jail cell, she had been cleansed and delivered from the power and the dominion and the consequences that all of those other sins as well as that one had in her life. That's what the gospel will do for us. And it gives development. Notice that Paul went on to say here in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 2 that the gospel effectually worketh in you that believe. It was still working. The gospel is not intended to be something that we obey and then we're done with it. You know, a few years ago there was a false idea that you preach the gospel to those that aren't Christians, but you teach doctrine to those who are. Well, that's a false idea, and the book of Romans shows that to be so. Romans 1, Paul said to Christians at Rome, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome. Romans 1.15. And they obeyed doctrine according to Romans 6.17. God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine delivered unto you. So gospel and doctrine are simply synonymous one with another. They have to do with the word of God, the truth, the good news about how we gain this deliverance from sin. But you see, the gospel then goes on to develop us spiritually. There are men serving this congregation as elders. It started out as babes in Christ. And if you had asked them on the day they were baptized, would you serve as an elder? Well, right then and there, they weren't ready, were they? And if you'd asked them then, would you ever think about serving as an elder? They might have said, oh, not me. But through the power of the gospel, they developed spiritually. 
point that have all of those characteristics that you read about in 1 Timothy and Titus. And they're able to serve as shepherds in a congregation. And what about their wives? When they were baptized. How about being a wife of an elder? I don't believe I want that. But through the power of the gospel. And the developing of their faith and their soul. They're able to stand by their husband's side and hold up his hands in the good work that he does. If you had asked me in high school you'll be, and said you'll be a preacher, that would have been one of the biggest jokes I've ever heard. Of course, some would say, that's right. <laughs> you know. But if you'd ever said, you'll try, not me. It, it was a terror to think about getting up in front of a class and giving a book report or talk about a project. You're going to preach? Not me, brother. You'll teach Bible class? You'll get up in front of a congregation and lead prayer? Not me. That is a terror to even think about. And yet there are men today that do that may be inside trembling. Why? Because of the development of the gospel in their heart and life that brings them along to the point where they say, I want to serve God. I want to be like Titus said in Titus 3.1. I want to be ready to every good work. I want to put my talents into the use of the service of God and bring glory and honor to Him thereby. And if getting up and leading a prayer is a way I can do that, I'm going to do it. If getting up and leading singing is a way for me to do that, I'm going to do that. If getting up and giving a short devotional talk, which is how most preachers start out, if if that'll do it, then I'm going to do that. I'm going to use my abilities to the glory of God. And when I see people doing that, to develop character trait of encouragement and say you're doing a good job. Tony, I don't know if you remember Brother John Bennett. He was one of the elders at East Huntsville. And when I obeyed the gospel when I was 17 and I was was anxious to do anything they would let me do, I remember the first time I tried to lead a song. I remember the first time I volunteered to make announcements. I thought when I, they asked for a volunteer, Brother Benny Bristow was teaching a, a, a class on how to serve. and I was 17, 18 years old, and he said, all right, who'd like to make announcements tonight? Man, my hand went up. Let me. In that classroom, it didn't seem all that daunting <laughs> until I went to the pulpit and stood up and looked out, and I was shaking like a leaf. But I was ready. And every time I would do something like that, Brother John Bennett would walk up and he'd say, Son, you got a voice to be a preacher. I'd lead a prayer. You got a good voice. And I, by and large, by in time, I, I began to think, you know, maybe I could do that. And I'm still thinking, maybe I can do that one of these days. <laughs> See, your development. That's what the gospel will do for us, folks. He can take me where I am today to where I could never imagine being 
in the years to come. It's milk for the soul, 2 Peter 2, 2, and meat as well, Hebrews 5. Paul said, I commend you unto God, the word of his grace, that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. That's the power of the gospel. If we'll just believe it, if we'll trust what God said, and let that word have its way in our life, it'll give me the ability to discern right and wrong, to direct my life in the way I ought to go, to deliver me from the power of sin, and to develop my life in a way that my talents, whatever they may be, will be used to the fullest the honor and glory of God. Are you a faithful child of God following that Bible? If you know you're not, as you sit there and listen to me this morning, you know you're not, then let us pray with you and pray for you. You acknowledge your sin as you demonstrate your repentance in coming before us. We'll pray with you and pray for you. Maybe you've been thinking about being baptized. Why not do it now? We've got time to take care of that. It won't take very long. You can walk out of this assembly today a child of God, cleansed of every sin, delivered from the consequences of those past sins. We hope that you will while we stand together and sing.